Welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast, brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed, providing expert support and advice across all your corporate finance, due diligence, tax and accounting needs. BDO have been a champion of our industry for many years and are really proud to support many of the best brands in hospitality. If you want to make sure your business is in the safest of hands financially, BDO would love to take you for a coffee to understand your business vision so that they can help you get there. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how BDO can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. Supersonic. 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 Tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. So today I'm out and about in London and just had a really pleasant day. A couple of meetings and getting a presentation out of the way and one of those days where everything feels like you've actually achieved something. So I was in a really good mood and so excited about our next guest because she's one of the happiest, most positive, most driven and most talented people within the entire hospitality industry. My next guest is Celia Pronto, who's the Chief Customer Officer at CDG Casual Dining Group. And that means that she's got the responsibility and the joy of looking after many brands, including Bella Italia, Café Rouge, La Ciguanas, La Tasca, Belgo, and a few others to boot. We just had such a nice chat. We don't know each other particularly well. We've sort of seen each other in the passing at these events that we all go to, but it was really nice to sit down and get a proper chat, really understand where Celia's came from in terms of her training, our career, our knowledge, and we're all so lucky today that Celia is going to share all of that with us. So it gives me the most best big boss in the world pleasure ever to introduce my guest today, the mighty Celia Pronto. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. And the reason for the introduction was I got two separate notes from people in your team saying how great you will be on this podcast and how great it is to have you as a boss. Well, isn't that lovely? Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. I've never had that. Well, I do have a dream team. <laughs> there you go. But that's, isn't that great? It just kind of restores your faith in humanity and teams and working and the big boss doesn't have to be a bad boss. How lovely. Yeah. Oh, so that's I'll, really sweet. I'll tell you later and you can give them away. Exactly. Tries. Please do. <laughs> so what have you been up to today? Well, today has been a day of meetings, mm -hmm. planning, quarterly planning, team meeting this morning, actually, which mm -hmm. is actually my favourite meeting of the month. Uh -huh. Once a month, I get all my team together. How many? Uh, uh, 19. Christ, okay. And we do a bit of recognition. Oh, great. People can nominate each other, so uh -huh. we have a hero of the month. Mm -hmm. 
a little trophy that passes from last month's okay. winner to this month's winner. What is the trophy? Is it anything uh, special? Do you know what? It's, it's a very, very simple little thing okay. and it just says team member of the month. But the kudos it gives Perfect. people and it's just a nice opportunity to hear a thank you from somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and we talk about the business and talk about what mm-hmm. we're up to and how everyone's doing. And it's just a bit of a quiet reflection, which nobody ever gets time to do. Never. Yeah. And it's, you know, it needs to be sort of... Uh, needs to be more of it. I saw the other night um, David uh, McDowell at Brewdog was uh, actually holding an after-school session, you know, for for all the managers, just to talk to them about how to be a leader in Brewdog. And I know it's simple, but just not enough of it happens because it's just get this done, hurry up, get it done. Why can't you do that, you know? It's the simplest things. It's just saying thank you. And it's just being visible with people about what's going on in the business and, mm-hmm. you know, what's going well, but equally what's not going so well and yeah, how yeah, they yeah. can help and making them part of the solution. And uh, I think that, you know, makes people feel like they're part of the business and yeah. part of the success of the business. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's actually my favourite meeting of the month. Well, that's good. So I've got you on a good day. Yeah, you've got me on a really good day. <laughs> that's ideal. And then well, we're just saying as well, there was a wonderful um, sort of, celebration of women conference and hospitality going on yeah sadly um, i couldn't make it today yeah. but uh i went to last year's and it was an amazing yeah, rocking it was really nice i saw uh, don from chili pickle was going to be on and Anne was up doing her stuff as well and yeah yeah so we're keen to hear what happens after that yeah so, i'm sure it'll be amazing no it? doubt we'll find out exactly yes um so what about you then so uh what's your proper title these days have you went up in the world since we last met uh oh i i we, I don't know is if it's it digital gone up director it's or more chief than that. Customer and digital officer for the Right. Group. So you've got that. What's your babies and what's your brands, just in case people don't know about Casual Dining Group and all that sure. stuff? So we have Belle Italia, mm-hmm. which is our biggest brand. Yeah. Uh, Las Iguanas, Cafe Rouge. Uh-huh. Uh, we also have La Tusca and yeah. Belgo. Uh, and then we run quite a few concessions brands in places like Heathrow, uh-huh. Luton, Inverness, Jersey Airport. We run. Yeah, yeah. So quite a big concessions business. So it's about yeah. 280 restaurants. Total. Total. Uh, yeah. And what's the brands and are they, are they different brands that are in the airports and stuff, is it? Mostly they are. It depends yeah, on yeah. the airport. So in Luton Airport, for example, we do have a Bella, mm-hmm. but we also have a brand called Oriel and Dublé okay. in there. Okay. Um, in Heathrow, they are all one-off brands because that's how Heathrow wanted oh so they've almost sort of de-branded uh, in a way. well they are specific brands we've created for Heathrow uh-huh. so we do have two Oriels in yeah, there yeah. but we also have two pubs okay uh, we have a Huxley's which is in Terminal 5 oh yeah I know that which a lot of people yeah, will, yeah. will have seen mm-hmm. uh, so that's us as well um, and we have LaSalle so we've got uh, brands in T2 T3 T4 and 5 blame and how often are you getting out to those brands do you sort of do quite a bit of touring about or what happens with that I try to but you know what you just get sucked into the day job yeah, so yeah. I don't spend anywhere near as much time in sites as I'd love to yeah. I, I love it when I get out and about um, yeah. it's uh, that's where the true business happens oh, yeah. that's where the reality of your brands happen is yeah, yeah. at the front line yeah um, so I end up trying to do it mostly in my spare time weekends as most of us do rather yes than Giving up, you know, time during the day when you've got to, <laughs> to get that next campaign yeah, out yeah, and you know, get the next digital piece launched. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine having that many restaurants. I mean, I think Prep was a different story, but when I was at your, it was maybe like what fifty or sixty, and that felt overwhelming. Yeah. So yeah, it must be a bit crazy to have all that responsibility. Yeah, it's just trying to systematise it as much as you can. Yeah. It also helps when you've got an amazing ops team that yeah, you can yeah. work alongside because, again, there is no point doing yeah. great front-end pieces and then you don't have the ops engagement to yeah. deliver it. It's just not going to work. Is that you getting 
credit for the ops team and you kind of getting some favour from them but no, giving them a no, shout no. out. Do you know what? I, <laughs> I was I, always kissing ops about me. Were you really? Yeah, 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 I'm, a, I'm really fortunate. People yeah, talk yeah. about the horrors of some of the relationships with ops and I just think, wow, I'm just super fortunate yeah, because, yeah, you lucky. know, I've got, I've got great uh, ops colleagues and <laughs> we have great engagement and, you know, we can have a healthy debate and healthy yes. discussion and healthy disagreement but yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, fundamentally, we all are aligned in yeah. what we're trying to do. Which... But it'll be better for it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So what about you then? Because you've had a slightly varied background getting to hospitality. So what was going on before that then? Yeah, so... Um... I've uh, I've got a very eclectic background. Uh-huh. Uh, every every single job I've had has been in a different industry. Okay. Which uh, yes is is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so I started out in very very traditional marketing mm-hmm. at Unilever, um, but uh-huh. what a great training ground. Sure. Uh, and I know you said you were chatting to Emma from Waggers and uh, she and I share that. So uh-huh. when we when we have a conversation, we frequently chat about our Unilever days. Yes, and go uh, back to that. Exactly. So started out in very traditional marketing. And then when I moved to the UK 20 years ago, mm-hmm. the first job I got was in digital. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, this was still, you know, dial up. It was yeah, pre-Google, yeah, yeah. it was pre-Facebook. Um, but I just absolutely adored digital and who was that for so it was financial services Uh believe it or not uh uh, which i didn't spend too much time in because i have to say i didn't love financial services (laughs) it's not my favorite industry but uh but taught me a hell of a lot yes um so that was my first digital job and i absolutely Mm. loved digital and so i've always stayed in it yeah um and then i went to work for a vc funded startup this was the heyday of the dot-com boom was that sort of late 90s or something so like that? So this was 99. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so I worked for a VC-funded startup, B2B space. So uh-huh. I got myself some B2B experience. Uh, and they went the way of most dot-coms around 2000. Yep. Uh, but I, I've always said everybody should work for a startup once in their life because the learning curve uh, is incredible. Yeah. Working for a business where your business model changes every day, yep. uh, where you don't know what you're doing from one minute to the next. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's insane. It's frustrating. But it's energizing at the same time. I think it's kind of addictive as well. You know, like our, I had the experience on a couple of occasions doing that and it really consumed me in a good way, you know, because you mm. felt like, I think because it was a smaller team, you all felt so vested and getting to the goal. I think you, know? you do. I think the danger is that exactly that it can be addictive. Yeah. I mean, I can remember being there on Friday nights at eleven PM oh, yeah. because we were suddenly, you know, trying to turn the business on its head. So yeah, it was yeah. it was it was insane as well. Mm-hmm. Um and then when I left there, I actually started my sort of leisure career, if you yeah. like. Uh, and spent the next ten years in a in a variety of roles. So I worked for Rank Group. Uh-huh. Uh, and set up their interactive division. Mr. Swain has just went there as well, Jonathan X Fuller's. Okay. He's just moved across. So, so yeah. uh, I spent uh, I spent some time at Rank. At, I joined them when they were late to the digital game and yeah. they hadn't set up anything. By this point, you had your William Hills and your Ladbrokes and all of yeah. those already online. And What's so, Rank's at a universe then? What, what did you say and people don't so know? So it's, it's changed, but at the time I worked for them, they owned Mecca Bingo, which mm-hmm. they still own. Uh, they owned Grosvenor Casinos, which is also still part of the yeah. group. But they also owned Hard Rock cafe at the time huh so when uh, when we set up the interactive business we set up make a bingo online and uh-huh. we set up hard rock casino so we went with a hard rock brand because we felt it was more international yeah. and could scale yeah um so yeah i spent some time setting up their interactive division great uh and then i joined hotels and worked mm-hmm. for inter- intercontinental hotels okay. for uh, about three years uh-huh 
uh, looking after. I was in e-commerce, uh-huh. so that was my first sort of proper e-commerce yeah, job, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Uh, ran the UK and then Western Europe and Middle East. Great. For a bit. Uh, and then stepped into my first proper digital transformation role in mm-hmm. travel. Went to work for STA Travel. Okay. Which is the world's biggest student travel organization. Yes, brilliant. And drove their digital transformation, set up new brands, replatformed, rebranded the organization mm-hmm. um, before working in tech. So mm-hmm. came slightly closer to restaurants and worked for Booker Table for a couple of years. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, then completely left Leisure and Hospitality yeah. and joined Automotive Retail for four years. Yeah, who was that with? Ford Retail. Was Ford, yeah, I thought So, it was. subsidiary of Ford Motor Company uh-huh. works very separately, um, but they are on the retail side, obviously. Uh-huh. World's, world's biggest retailer. Wow. Ford Retailer. What, total? Total. World's biggest wow. Ford Retailer. Uh, retail, they sell about £1.5 billion pounds is there, are they sales. So... Oh, yeah. Big, big business. So uh-huh. uh, I joined them as their marketing and e-commerce director. Uh-huh. Um, and then came back to Leisure and Hospitality and joined uh-huh. CDG three and a half years ago. Is that what it is? Three and a half years? It feels, in a nice way, just a lot longer. Like, you know, you're part of a real proper sort of pillar of it, you yeah. know, which is really, really good. So what did you find when you got there then? Yeah. So CDG had been through an interesting, really interesting time. It had been a CVA in mm. 2013 um 2014 around about that time uh, the business had then gone through some changes in their portfolio so uh, at the time that they went through the CVA mm-hmm. the the portfolio of brands included Strada right so it was Cafe Rouge it was Ballet Italia it was mm-hmm. Belgo and Strada uh-huh. so uh they had sold off Strada um and then in 2015 they bought both Las Iguanas and La Tasca mm-hmm. so I joined them early in 2016 and the business had sort of realised that digital was important but didn't really know what they wanted to do. Yeah. And they were in a place where they said, you know, if you look at leisure in its broadest context, mm-hmm. airlines do digital really well, hotels do it really well, yeah. car hair does really well, but actually restaurants really don't. And still don't to a large extent. And exactly. You know? And so they they knew they needed to make changes but didn't really know what they needed to do. Yeah. So for me it was great because it was a blank sheet of paper. They knew they wanted to change it but not yeah. what they wanted that to do. Yeah. Um, and also I guess you're coming with that wealth of experience that almost puts you two or three years ahead of the industry at least. Yeah. You know, which is amazing to come in and just... Go and there was a lot that. of applicability because mm-hmm. I knew what we'd done in other places and other yeah. organisations I'd worked in that we could, you know, apply at CDG. So the the business had was also, the way it was structured at the time was very decentralised. Mm-hmm. So each brand had effectively their own business unit, so an MD, HR, ops and marketing, yeah. and therefore operated uh, functionally very separately. Yeah. And the only centralised functions they had were they had IT, uh, they had procurement mm-hmm. and group finance pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the role was a really interesting one because it was there to drive the change, but it was all through influence and stakeholder management. Sure. Um, Which you will have learned at the finance company, I'm sure. I, I will have learned some of that, <laughs> yes. But uh, but all the transformation roles I'd done before had um, I'd done with a team around me, yeah, and yeah. I had to do it on my own, which I thought was a very interesting challenge. <laughs> um, but what 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 we had was therefore we had duplication of everything. So you had multiple different platforms, yeah. multiple different CRM systems, multiple different strategies, mm. um, and the opportunity to actually build a world class platform for mm. the business 
business that was scalable, flexible, and more importantly, can support the business for growth yeah. should we acquire anyone. But equally, if we decided to sell off a brand, could very equally, you know, very easily decouple that brand. So it was all about how do we build this mm-hmm. platform business mm-hmm. that can scale. Um, but that was a smart sport, though. I think and also having the autonomy to be able to do that is, was incredible, right? I mean, that was just a blessing, quite yeah, frankly, yeah. because you don't get gigs like that very no. often. So, you know, for me, it was just like a kid in a, kid in a sweet shop. <laughs> um, I think, you know, in hindsight, if we if we tried to do now what we did and the investments we made three and a half years ago, it would mm-hmm. be really hard to justify because the market's got tighter. Yeah. The market's got tougher for all of us. Mm-hmm. We're all having to fight so much harder for every penny of a consumer spend. Mm-hmm. And to now come into it and say, actually, we're going to spend all this money and this time and effort to yeah. replatform would be really tough. And I don't yeah. know if we had our time again and we hadn't have done what we did, whether we would now be in a position mm-hmm. to do that. But the beauty is we did and we can now reap the rewards from that and yeah. you know get the payback from it. So yeah. thank goodness we did. I think that's brilliant. And I think also, I mean, your yourselves, you're kind of a class apart from pretty much 90, 95% of the market in terms of the commitment that CDG has had to digital. You know, yeah. we were about to do this social media workshop in a couple of weeks or whatever. And, you know, it's just the same sort of stuff that you're you're speaking to people who it's a tenth of their job. Yeah, They're not allowed to spend any money on it. It's only organic. They've then got no SEO. They've got no Facebook pixel. They've got no, yeah. uh, you know, PPC strategy. They've got, you know, and... I don't know when that moment's going to come that it'll just click where most bus- it's business as usual. I think it's hard, you know, when, you, when you've when you also got a lot of people who are used to what the industry used to be about, yeah. which was just, I need to have, of course, and you still need to have yeah. a great proposition. I need to have great food. I need to have great people. I need to provide great service. Mm. That hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. What has changed is in the past, you could open your door and people would walk in and eat. Yeah. And simply opening your door in the morning is no longer enough. And that's what's changed and Mm. that's what people are grappling with. And I think the challenge sometimes with digital is it's quite easy to see the front end. You know, I can see a Facebook ad. Mm. I can see a Facebook post. I can understand and I can get my head around that because that's the equivalent of something I've seen before. Mm -hmm. But to my mind, before you can get to the point where you start to invest in those things, you've got to get the back end and the infrastructure right. Yes. So we only started spending on media once we'd actually built our infrastructure. So it was only a good 18 months Mm -hmm. after I joined that we even started spending any Mm -hmm. money because all the investment had been made in things that the consumer will never see. Yeah. And arguably the business could say they never really saw because a lot of it was... It's quite intangible, isn't it? It's it's the infrastructure and the foundation, Mm. but you've got to get that right Mm -hmm. because if you don't, when you start to scale, it's very hard to get your measurement right, you get your data right, your analytics Mm -hmm. to understand whether it's working or not. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you chuck a load of traffic at it and it falls over. And so just to give people some clues as well, because, you know, it is quite a a leap for a lot of people. Um, What were some of the infrastructure changes that had to happen, for example, then? So the first thing we did was we thought about how do we build our web platform in a way that's scalable? And mm-hmm. we've actually built two platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got one which supports uh, our three smaller brands, so La Tusca, Lavinia and Belgo. And that's a much smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that it's it's steady, it's um, solid, but mm-hmm. we don't have to invest a huge amount of money in it. It just supports those brands but doesn't require a huge level of investment. Yeah. Is that open source or is it proprietary? 
Um, it's open source. Uh-huh. And we've gone open source actually across the board. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I deliberately did not want any bespoke co- code yeah. because then it ties me to the supplier <laughs> and then it gets all fast and then I can't. Yeah, so so we've gone open source uh, across the board. Um, and then for our three big big brands, so for Las Iguanas, uh, Bella and Cafe Rouge, mm-hmm. we built a platform where basically we de- decoupled the back end from the front end. So mm-hmm. the back end is where the infrastructure and the architecture sit and it's a really, really clean architecture. Uh, and that's also where all of my APIs and integrations sit. Yeah. Um, and then my front end is my brand and comms layer, which means I can manifest and articulate each brand completely separately because yeah. we are a branded business. Mm-hmm. It isn't a cookie cutter approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so the brands do need to look and feel differently at the front end, but at the back end, I can have one common architecture. Mm-hmm. And that is also where it's really easy for me. If I've got a new supplier or a new vendor I need to plug in, I just plug it into the back end and yeah. it's done. And that's why I've also got scalability because where I host that back end and how I host it also means I've got scalability. Yeah. Uh, now, we had to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. But historically, what would have happened in the business is brand A would have said, I need a new website. Can I have some CapEx? Yeah. They would have built a website, which, by the way, would be built by an agency. They would they would own the code and yeah. it would also be hosted on some random server. Yeah. Uh, a, a year later, they would go, actually, that's now out of date. Can I have the same CapEx again to start again? Yeah. And in the interim, if they ran a huge campaign which chucked a load of traffic at the website, it would fall over. Mm-hmm. And, we and you've got personnel on. changes in the mix as well, where it's and ultimately I want you're fully a new dependent website. on an agency. Yeah. And if you need, to, mm-hmm. you know, then you're completely dependent on an agency. So, yeah. so that's the 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 sort of infrastructure we built for the web. And what we also then did is. Um, we now we move, we changed our methodology. This is going to be the super geeky bit, but mm-hmm. uh, we changed our methodology. I thought we'd done super geeky already. No, we're not. Oh, there right, yet. okay. Here comes the really super geeky Stra- bit. Strap in folks, the really, yeah. <laughs> so the geeky bit is we moved from what's known as waterfall to agile. Uh huh. So for those who don't know, waterfall is where you spec everything you want a product, a website to do. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time up front getting that right before you move into build. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, by the time it's built, it no longer meets your requirements because the world's moved on and time's moved on. Yeah. Agile is you build a minimum viable product, you get that live, and then you iterate on it. Yes. Um, so it requires a mind shift change. Mm-hmm. It requires a change to how you run with your finance team. Yeah. Um, but effectively, we now work in Agile for that platform. So mm-hmm. every week we're releasing new features and yeah. we're continuously innovating and developing that platform. So that's just one example. It's, it's great advice because um, back at lastminute.com, you know, Brent Hoberman, who, who founded it, you know, he was always saying to us, look, it's never perfect. Yeah. You know, it's never done. Just get it up there and keep going. And then if it breaks, we'll fix it straight away. Just get it, you know. And yeah. so I think that was, whereas so many people just going through a, a web project for a client at the moment as well where everyone wants it to be like the show home yeah you know and it's like make it livable and then we'll yeah put the curtains in later you know don't worry <laughs> i mean the analogy is 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 sort of like if you're building a car uh-huh. you start off you know you've got the wheels as long as you've got a we- wheel and you know, you've got a you've you've got a, a pedal and you've got a steering wheel you can get going yes you can start driving <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you can start adding in the luxuries yeah, and the yeah. radio go faster stripes <laughs> exactly you can you can build on that <laughs> and then um just then going into that and you were saying it was yourself yeah. you know as, as you're starting out how then did you sort of go about restructuring the team? What does that team look like? You know, because I think that's really interesting for people who are themselves at the moment and sure. only can dream of having a team, you know. 
so um so about uh I'd been at CDG for about 18 months mm-hmm. when uh when we restructured the business and that's when I took on the chief customer officer role and we then looked at how we were going to structure the business. So the structure we have uh in the team is I have a I have a head of brand for the brands. Mm-hmm. Um and they've got a within their teams, they've got either a brand manager or, or brand exec, depending mm-hmm. on the size of the brand. Um, and they've got creative. So we have mm-hmm. our creative in-house. So that's how we run our brand teams. Um, and then uh, as a shared resource, I've got uh, I've got digital, mm-hmm. and that includes CRM and social. Yeah. So that's a shared resource that works across, uh, across Bella, Rouge and Belgo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a partnerships team that works across those three brands as well. Okay. Um, and I have a local marketing team that mm-hmm. works across those three brands as well. And that means that, you know, digital, yes, you need to articulate it differently for yeah. brands, but the methodology is the same yes. and the thinking's the same and the yeah. best practice is the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that way we can we can have good resource yeah. uh, and we invest in our resource, mm-hmm. but it means I'm not having to duplicate the resource yeah. three times for three different brands. Yeah. It makes sense. And it's really great, you know, to hear that, You've got the social part going on, you've got the digital part going on, but the local marketing is like just so vital and not enough people do it because, as you say, so many are opening the doors and crossing their fingers, Yeah. but they're not actually willing to go out and fight for that sale and, and bring that person in, you know? Yeah, and our approach to local marketing is that we we still believe that ownership needs to lie with each individual site, mm. each individual GM and and, yeah. and their teams need to own their local marketing. Mm-hmm. But we recognise that they need some hand-holding and support and equally mm-hmm. they also need some policing to make sure they're doing yes. it. Yes. So my team uh, play a bit of a hybrid role. They run training workshops, so we mm-hmm. train them on how to pull together plans. Mm-hmm. They've all been given uh, manuals and yeah. you know workbooks of how to pull together their plans. Mm-hmm. They are field-based, so my team are constantly on the road doing mm-hmm. site visits. And their first thing when they go into site is to check they've got the right point of sale, yeah. destroy the wrong point of sale, because inevitably there's stuff Some from five that. years ago. <laughs> uh, but then they also scrutinize the plans and say, mm-hmm. right, what's your plan? Have you got the right plans in place? Yeah. How are you activating it? Let's review what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Let's critique it. Make sure that they're actually doing it. Yeah. Um, and then give them a bit of support yeah. if they need help. And there's all social... Um, centralized? Um, so it works slightly differently for the brands. So uh-huh. Las, the Las Iguanas team have, uh, they have local social media champions. Okay. So they have individual Facebook pages, for example, mm-hmm. and they will centrally support and help the teams, but, but they will be doing it on a local level. Yeah. Um, and then for the other brands, we have centralized it. Uh, we're now looking at whether we start testing some local stuff. Yeah. Well, I was going to, I was going to ask, do you have a view? Because we get asked all the time. Yeah. And it, I think it changes some things, but I don't know. What do you think? Where, where are you at? I think it really depends on your brand, mm-hmm. first of all. You know, do you have a brand that's like Las Iguanas, which is that, you know, more esoteric, slightly out there? Yeah. You know, then I think you can take a slightly different approach mm-hmm. because you want that that um, individual personality coming through. Yeah. Um, I think if you are a slightly more grown-up brand, then you need to take a slightly different approach. Yeah. So I think it depends on your brand and mm. I think it also depends on your target consumer. True. Yeah, I think there's a lot of chat at the moment about centralise Insta, potentially don't centralise Facebook. Yeah. And then kind of in the middle, potentially just use Twitter for 
listening and customer service yeah. more than try to sell stuff. But again, you know, even Twitter, you know, for some of our brands, Twitter's a great engagement channel. It is. So you, there's no, you know, it's always just, I'm just always keen to hear everyone's view because, you know, it's just this eternal question that just keeps kind of changing all the time, you know. I think you've also got to try different things. Yeah. So you've got to be brave enough to try what's right for mm. your brand. And I think if you do go down the route of decentralising it and, and allowing your staff to take ownership for it, being really clear on how you make sure you've got those social media champions, yeah. how you allow for that and the fact that you're going to have start, staff turnover, yeah. how we're going to make sure that they are continuously trained on how to do this. Yeah. You're still going to have to inevitably have your you know admin logins to be able to overwrite when they misspell things or use bad yeah. grammar or bad yeah. language and you go, no, that's not, or they've used the wrong image. or mm-hmm. So you're still going to have to have a level of control and oversight yeah. over it anyway. Yeah. Um, but the upside of that is they do feel ownership over it and they take control of it. So, yeah. you know, there's benefits to it as well. Mm. And I think well, just what we were discussing as well before we went on, Mike, um, we were talking about social media departments yeah. and, and your view on that. And I just thought you had a very interesting sort of take on that, you know, which backs up just what you've said. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, my, my view is... I think if you are as old as I am, um, you don't necessarily know how to do it in the best way. Who does that? No, we can't. <laughs> ancient, ancient. Um, I think the best thing you can do is to hire really great young people yeah. uh, and listen to them and let them get on with it. Yeah, yeah, get out of their way. Yeah, definitely. get out of their way. Do you have a favourite brand? Oh. Do you know, I can honestly say I don't. Mm-hmm. Because if I if I want to go if I want to go out and have comfort food, uh-huh. I'm going to go to Bella. Yeah. Because you know it's going to be pasta, and I'm going to want to go and have my pasta yeah. because you know it's that kind of weather. If I want to go and have fantastic cocktails, I'm going to go to Las yeah. yeah. And if I want to go have great brunch or afternoon tea, I'm going to go to Cafe Rouge or my yeah. great crock. So I love them like yeah. for different reasons. Yep. Yep. They all they all play a role in my life. <laughs> Um, and then just something about, um, you know, digital in practice then. So how does it permeate sort of throughout the business, um, you know, and going into internal comms and, you know, the, the setting up the, the guidelines for that, Facebook Workplace, yeah. I know you, you did something on. But just be quite interesting to, to sort of see how that, because you, you're feeling like, a very digitally led business now, yeah. which is quite incredible considering the size, et cetera. Um, so, so my view on, on digital and particularly digital transformation is you've got to start with the people. Mm-hmm. If you start with the technology, I don't think you stand as much of a chance of success. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are businesses out there who've started with technology and got it right, but mm-hmm. I don't know of any. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to start with people and you've got to start with culture. Mm-hmm. Um, because people inevitably are afraid of the change mm-hmm. and they always think it's going to mean something bad for them yeah. rather than necessarily it's going to make my life easier or it's going to improve anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you've always got to start with the people. Uh, so we started internal and for us it was workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, we got onto the beta program before yeah. it was publicly launched. So we were one of the first. Um, that also meant, by the way, we inherited some of the problems that came with taking a beta program. Right. <laughs> you know, but something that was in beta, it wasn't perfect. But um, for us, it's, I mean, I often say to people, even if, if I'd done nothing else mm-hmm. but given CDG Workplace and then had left, yeah. the business would have been a different business purely by having Workplace. It okay. has been that radical for us. Wow. 
Um, and the reason I say that is because historically, you know, we've got people dispersed across the country. Mm-hmm. People are not on corporate email addresses. They're not on any email, never mind yeah. corporate email. Um, but we do have their private email addresses mm-hmm. because that's how they get their payslip every yeah. month. Um, that for from a commerce perspective, they were totally reliant on their manager, yeah. and we were totally reliant on sending something to manager and hoping that they were yeah. communicating it to their yeah. teams, and they didn't feel connected to the business. Mm-hmm. They had this view that you know even sites that might be five miles away from them were a world away from them. Never mind yeah. somebody who might sit in in support center. So for us, we don't call yeah. it head office; we call it support center mm-hmm. because we see ourselves as being supporting the sites. Yeah. Uh, and what Workplace has done is it's completely changed how we work, how we train people, how mm-hmm. we collaborate, how we communicate, how we uh, learn, mm-hmm. how we recognize each other. Um, it's made people feel connected to each other. When yeah. I walk into a site, they recognize me because they've seen me on Workplace. Right. Um, and it allows us to celebrate success. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has completely radically transformed our business because i've not i've not seen it like in action if you like you know i've seen some slides and a lady called nikki uh, nikki drake that um i used to work with at lastminute.com she went over there and she'd actually asked us when i was back at spectacular to look at you know sort of doing it as an agency thing um but yeah we never kind of went the whole hog and then i seen you doing your case study on it and just changed my whole perceptions of it and does the employee um team member do they just download like a Facebook workplace app or does it integrate with a normal Facebook or? So it doesn't integrate. It's kept completely separate and that's deliberate. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a lot of it is down to legal. So from a Facebook perspective, if you're a Facebook member, actually all the data and all the, uh, all the content belongs to them. Right. And all the images and photos belong to them Mm -hmm. from a workplace perspective. It belongs to us Ah. um, because it's an enterprise solution. Mm hmm. So even though you might have a Facebook account mm-hmm. and a workplace account with your name, as far as Facebook is concerned, you are two separate people. Even if it's the same email address? Even if it's the same email yeah, address. Wow. They, keep, they treat it completely separately. Yeah, yeah. So the way the process works is you join CDG, mm-hmm. and once you've been set up in, in our payroll system, it triggers an email to your private email address saying you've been invited to join Workplace. Mm-hmm. You have the option to join. We don't make it mandatory. It's not a condition of employment. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So people can absolutely choose whether mm. they want to join it or not. Uh, and then they download two apps. They join. They they download the Workplace app, mm-hmm. which looks and feels very much like Facebook, but without the ads. Mm-hmm. Um, and they download the Workplace Chat app, right. which is the equivalent of Messenger. Okay. Um, and that means that when they've got the chat app, we can then obviously do everything that you would do through Messenger, um, yeah. video calling and you know, oh, that's cool. So, oh, so we use it for video calling. Yeah. Uh, you can you can have, I think it's up to 10 people that you can do video wow. calling. You can do voice calling. And obviously you can do chat on there as well. You can set up groups. You can do all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and then within Workplace itself, you join groups. So mm-hmm. we have... Uh, for each of our brands, we have a main feed, which is, you know, we have Bella News, we have Rouge News, yeah. we have CDG News. Um, we have, uh, and then there are loads of other groups. So you can set up as many groups as you like. Oh, that's cool. Um, and we don't stop people setting up groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your group can either be private or public. If it's mm-hmm. a private group, then nobody else can see it aside from who you've invited to join it. Okay. So a lot of area managers, for example, will set up a private group with their GMs where they can mm. talk about what's going on or results or whatever yeah. they might want to chat Quick about. Quick tidy up, Celia's coming. 
<laughs> well, exactly. Could be. Who knows? I mean, I'm an admin and I can't see the private groups, yeah. so they could be saying anything. Um, and then we have public groups. Yeah. Uh, so it's um, it's very democratizing. Yeah. Uh, everybody has a voice because you can post anything. Mm. Um, I think one of the questions I've been asked in the past is, uh, how do you police the content and make sure they don't post something inappropriate? Um, yeah. And we, you know, we we've kept it deliberately very light touch. We yeah. we we have a, a small poster that says the do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, this is for work. You're not on your holiday. Yeah, we don't yeah. need to see your holiday snaps. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can count on one hand the number of posts I've had to take down in three and a half years. Yeah. I think a lot of the time these things you hope with the culture that you've built and everything would be almost self-policing anyway. You know, if someone was really out of order, then people would be like, you know, get, well, get rid of that, you know. Well, you can report. So if you see a post yeah. that you think is offensive, you, you report it. Mm-hmm. There are a number of admins in the business. One mm-hmm. of us will pick it up and take a look at the content and make a judgment call as to whether we think it's yeah. appropriate or not. Yeah. Um, but like I say, I've only had to take down about four or five things in the time we've had it. Yeah. Um, but that that was the start of the change for us. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at BDO. BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. Thinking about just digital in the marketplace. So, um, you know, obviously tough times. It's been tough times for ages anyway. Um, but what are you seeing out there in terms of, you know, what brands are doing really well, what brands are doing not so well? You know, wh- where's your head at in terms of you looking at the competitive set in the market out there? What, yeah. How established is it? Um I actually tend to look outside the industry mm-hmm. for inspiration mm-hmm. um, because I think frequently there's learnings from elsewhere that we can bring in. And uh, I look at retail a lot yeah. because I think retail's in a very similar place yeah. to the place we're in. And only a few days ago there was a report that said actually fashion retail have had the most number of uh, site closures this year followed by casual dining. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So there's a lot of analogies, I think, between yeah, what's going yeah. on in retail and what's going uh, going on in our industry. Um, and there is one retailer who, for me, I think is really thought differently about digital, mm-hmm. uh, and that's Oasis Fashion. Okay. Um, who are not the biggest mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but they've thought about their, dif- their business really differently. So mm-hmm. the first thing they've done is, again, this is the very unsexy stuff, but they've thought about single inventory Mm -hmm. and they have basically said 
just because the shirt happens to be in your store and you're the general manager, that shirt doesn't belong to you to uh-huh. sell. That shirt belongs to Oasis to sell. Okay. And anybody can sell that shirt as mm-hmm. long as they can get access to it. So mm-hmm. they've started from the bottom up and they thought about their inventory. And then they've thought about the technology that needs to sit, sit on top of that to facilitate selling. Yep. So they've, uh, they've given all of their staff iPads to help the customer when they're in store. Mm-hmm. They've thought about their in-store experience. So if anyone has the chance and you are in London, pop down to the Oasis store on Tottenham Court Road mm-hmm. and they've put in a nail bar and they've put in loads of experiences right. to try and attract you aside from just come and buy some clothes. Mm-hmm. So they've thought about the experiential piece. Um, they've also on their website introduced, uh, I think it's called Seek and Send. Okay. So let's just say, for example... You're on their website and you want to buy, I don't know, a particular shirt, a white mm-hmm. shirt that you think you really like the look of this. And their warehouse doesn't have that in stock. Mm-hmm. What they'll do is they'll say, okay, we will go and find that shirt for you in any one of our stores and we will send it to you. Okay. So you pay for it online. Uh-huh. They will go and find it and they'll dispatch it to you. But they can only do that because they've got that single inventory. Yeah. And that holistic view of all their inventory. Yeah. Um, so they've really thought this through. And then what they've started to introduce is subscription models. So they've said, actually, if you really like Oasis, pay yeah. however much it is, and that gives you a year's worth of free shipping. So yeah. it's kind of a bit of the Amazon Prime model. Yeah. If you buy enough from them, it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So I think that they are, you know, there's more that they can do, mm-hmm. but they've thought about it differently and they've started yeah. from a different place. Yeah. Because I, I think I remember I saw a wee while ago one of these peach things, uh, John Lewis. Mm-hmm. And they had said something really good in a, a similar vein, but not as detailed as that. But they'd basically said to get everyone on side about um, digital sales, the sales from, let's say, your Milton Keynes store were your sales, obviously, but also any John Lewis products that were delivered within a certain radius of your store were your sales as well. Yeah. Something like that. And it just was like, that's quite, a, you know, a good way to think about it. Just trying to be fair. Yeah. You know, maybe not so good if you've got one up in the Orkney Islands or something like that. Maybe but, possibly not, but you're probably used to that <laughs> yeah, particular yeah, target challenge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I think I think retail, you know, some retailers are thinking about it differently. Mm. Uh, and then I think, you know, from a leisure perspective, you have to call out airlines. Sure. Because they've really thought about how digital can help them with everything from booking to check-in to picking your seat to picking mm-hmm. your meal mm-hmm. to surveying how your meal was to even, you know, they start having iPads on board. Yeah. They've really thought about how they can introduce digital. Um, yeah. Not or, British Airways. Well, uh, <laughs> they have. They've, had a, they've had a blip. They've had a blip. They kind of have. Uh, but I think for me, the, the, the brands that stand out and the, and the industries that stand out are the ones who've thought about Digital at the point of need, mm-hmm. where it's going to make a difference, either internally to how your staff work yeah. or to your customer, mm-hmm. rather than digitising for the sake of just digitising because you can. And I think that's an important distinction with your, even your job title. Mm. You know, for you to truly be the voice of that customer and put yourself in their shoes, because yeah. I... I we all try to do that, but I don't think we do that enough. You know, and I think that gives licence to really keep 
because the market's changing so rapidly and customer needs are changing yeah, so I'm rapidly. Yeah, I'm not sure we ever get it right. I mean, I certainly don't. No, I think but, you know, you're, so much to do. you're keeping going. But I, I think it's just what would make it easier for them is such a nice yeah. way to kind of lay out life, if you like. Well, and I think it's I think it takes more thinking in our industry because mm. dining out by its very nature is a social interaction. Mm-hmm. It's with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you know, if you're traveling on your own, you eat out on your own. But generally, it's a social interaction. It's with mm-hmm. friends. It's with family. It's with colleagues. It's it's with somebody you know. Mm-hmm. And the interaction and the experience is as much about who you're with as it is the banter with the staff. Yeah, yeah. And so you can, you can go down the route of trying to digitize so far because you can, mm-hmm. but what you'll lose is the essence of what eating out gives you as an experience. Yeah. So that's what I mean by at the point of need or where it makes a difference to the mm-hmm, customer because mm-hmm. the minute you start to detract from that experience rather than enhancing it, mm-hmm. I think you've lost something of about what makes it special. Yeah. I think there's a few things that are, are, are potentially doing that. And I think I remember seeing a speech from someone a while ago and they were going for like single customer view and yeah, fine. But I think a lot of people kind of go on that eternal quest for it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not sure that when they get it, they'll know what to do with it. You know, it's like that Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark thing or whatever, you know, like when they open the open the chest and the, the glow happens, that they'll be a bit like, oh, I don't actually know what to do with this now. So it's a tricky one. You know, how far do you go when it's sometimes not the biggest purchase in the world? Or, you know, how heavy yeah. do you get from a digital marketing perspective? Well, I think there's, I think there's exactly that question, mm. but there's also... Um, do you have the skill sets to then deal with it once yeah. you do have that single customer view? Mm. And even if you do know what you want to do with it, yeah. do you have the how? Yeah. You know, who's going to do this? Am I going to insource? Am I going to outsource? Do I have the mm. right skill sets and it's data? And Yeah. 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 And what about um, post-GDPR world and all that stuff? Is life different? Is it just everyone kind of forgotten about it? Is it still on your mind every day? What's yeah. going on with that? So we are very, very GDPR focused mm-hmm. at CDG. Um, we, I mean, we were quite lucky because mm-hmm. in the main, the majority of our data actually was fully opted in. Right. We had some people who had opted in, but we couldn't fully trace where they'd opted in from. Yeah. And so to err on the side of caution, we it's did a, a whole challenge one, process with them. Um, so so we were fairly fortunate from that perspective, but we are very, very GDPR focused. Um, we've actually invested quite a bit in, uh, in, in making sure, particularly at site level, data is secure. Uh, it's part of our audit process. So mm-hmm. when our internal auditors are out and about in sites, they are, as well as everything else, they are auditing whether what mm-hmm. the guards are doing and how they're handling data is secure. Yeah. So we're, we're very focused on it. But, uh, you know, has it stopped us from being innovative and thinking about how we engage with customers? No. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a question we ask as part of that process. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we make sure it's GDPR compliant? And in terms of your world of all the levers that you can pull to either get someone to come in for the first time or, or get them to come back more often or whatever it is, what have you sort of got at your disposal? So, you know, is that a full digital strategy with SEO, PPC, CRM? You know, what what is all the, the sort of, I guess, the yeah the arsenal that you've got in your... Yeah. In your so, um, obviously, we've got our retail estate, mm-hmm. which is 
you know, a great asset to helpful. have and very, very helpful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes old school is best. We've got a board. Yep. So that's always a, a great two. way to, to, to come to customers and obviously a point of sale in restaurant. Um, but from a from a digital perspective, yeah, we have the full gamut. So we've got SEO, we've mm-hmm. got PPC, we've got social, we've got A-B testing, we've got web optimization. Uh, yeah, we've pretty much got it all yeah yeah very very fortunate but yeah and is that all in-house or are you getting some external help for some of that stuff um so we work with an agency for our ppc Mm -hmm. um and that's purely because of how much we spend and and the volume of what we've got to get through um i've got somebody in my team who oversees it but Mm -hmm. uh but we do outsource that um everything else is done in-house yeah and just some advice for people out there you know what sort of levels of let's say you had 10 restaurants i don't know you know what sort of levels of spend do you think someone like that should be you know to get serious about digital you know what yeah. what's the sort of considerations because again it's something we get asked quite a lot i think that i think the the biggest thing or the biggest advice i would i would give you is to first of all make sure you've got the core right so mm. make sure you've got a decent website mm-hmm. make sure it is optimized for search yeah because the best way to get people is through SEO. Mm-hmm. So start off by making sure you focus on SEO. If you've done all of that and you're in a really good place and you say, right, I now need to go above and beyond that mm-hmm. and I need to start spending some money, the biggest advice I would give people is spend consistently. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much you spend Yeah. Um, because I appreciate budgets will vary and mm-hmm. what you can unlock is going to vary. Even if you've just got a couple of hundred quid. Yeah. Spend it consistently because mm-hmm. what you'll start to do is your your Google scores will go up, mm-hmm. and your relevancy scores will go up. Yeah, and Google will see that and will will basically give you kudos for that. Yeah, and it basically means when you start to spend more, if you're able to, because you've suddenly got a Christmas campaign, and you've got a bit yeah. more budget to put behind it, you will benefit from that relevancy score, and it will cost you less on a cost per click mm-hmm. basis. So the biggest thing I'd say is once you're in it. Spend, but spend consistently. Yeah, just sort of keep going. I think, you know, that's something a lot of people are asking at the moment about, you know, what the difference is between like boosting posts, but or using, you know, Facebook, you know, yeah. business manager a lot more. And, you know, myself and Alison at Avocado, we're sort of saying to people just don't boost your post because what is happening with people boosting posts is they're all sticking like a fiver on a yeah. post. And it just means the entire market's kind of doing that. So it's all level again. So again, it's just, Spend well, look intelligent by using all the tools that are there and and just keep, just spend that bit more if you can, you know, and just get it out there. And also just looking through your budget and saying, what's the offline stuff that we've always done, but we've never really questioned and we're not sure if it works and try and transfer that across, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think also think about how your offline can drive to online. So Mm. how can the two work together? Because sometimes the online absolutely serves a purpose, but can also help you drive to online where you do get the measurability. Yeah, yeah. And what about delivery and all that stuff and the, you know, the digitization all going on over there? So, you know, deliveries just eats all the rest of it. Obviously, you know, selling products on Amazon, there's all that triangulation going on. Yeah. And um, what are you seeing there? And and are you interacting with that? What's what's going on there for you guys? Yeah, so we're on all three delivery platforms. Mm-hmm. Um we are not exclusive with with any mm-hmm. one. Um, so we could work across all three of them. As you know, we've got dark brands out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, it is something we take seriously. It's yeah. something which, you know, we think will continue to grow. It's a super smart move on the dark stuff as well, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you've, you know, you've Works. got to keep innovating. And again, yeah. for some of our brands, 
you know, Bella works particularly well as Bella, but yeah. for other brands, lends itself less well mm-hmm. to to delivery. And so, innovating in, in that space has, has worked for us. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon is one which we have not dabbled in as yet, but mm-hmm. it is something we're looking at yeah. um, because we think there could be some discrete opportunities there. I mean, I know you had uh, you were talking about Amazon. Fev was on. Yeah, yeah. you were you were I talking about that as an opportunity, and uh, I agree. I don't know whether I necessarily create a product specifically for Amazon Yeah. if it's not, again, core to your brand and core to what your mm-hmm. brand is about. Mm-hmm. I think, again, for some brands, absolutely yeah, spot yeah, on. Yeah. Um, but we we think we've found some discrete opportunities that uh, that we can uh, we can play in that space. Yeah. It just it just feels like it's an opportunity. You know, if all the eyeballs are going there, and, and what did Viv say? Something like 52% of all product searches start on Amazon. Yeah. Well, I can it's believe nuts. that. I can absolutely nuts, believe that. You know? I think the it's, you've sort of ended up with this uh, very clear polarization of of digital. Where if I'm if I'm looking for inspiration or if I'm searching for something, but I don't really know what I'm looking for, I'm going to go to Google. Um, if I'm very much just searching for what others are doing, I'm going to go to social, mm. and that's probably going to be Insta. Uh, but if I know what I want and I've just got to find it and have somebody deliver it to me, I'm going to Amazon. Yeah. Uh, and I think you you you're going to continue to see this polarization between those three channels. Yeah. I'm in the laziest category at the end. You know, it's just like you know, one bag of nails. Amazon, Done. yeah, just terrible. Just I saw. I, I think I said before, but I saw this amazing uh, meme and it said, uh, "Don't drink in prime." And it was just like this pile of boxes outside someone's door. And that's what our front door looks like all the time. It's like I mean, the most so ridiculous bad. thing though is when you order the tiniest thing and this massive box turns up, and you think that's really not that eco-friendly. You, that doesn't make you feel good. That's really not eco-friendly <laughs> and, at all. And then it's so big, you've got to go to the tip with it. So you exactly. use petrol, and you're like, oh, this is yeah, this is screwed. I'm yeah, killing, this is not good. I'm killing the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so the other thing I was um, going to sort of talk to you about was apps and things like that as yeah. well. How are you handling that? Have you got an app for each of the brands? And yeah. is it centralised or are they all different or what's going on there? Sure. So we have resisted apps for a uh-huh. long, long time. And uh, people are going to think me strange for saying this, but I was the one person who kept saying, no, we're not doing an app in the business yep. for a long, long time. What was there some reasons for that? Um, the biggest reason for me was, well, actually, there's a number of reasons. One when your average visitation is three to four times a year, mm-hmm. you've got to have something pretty compelling to give the customer a strong enough incentive to want to have the app on their phone in the first yep. place. Um, and in my experience, when I've done apps before, getting downloads is not necessarily the problem because you can incentivize that. Yeah. The problem is usage. usage. And if you're going to invest time, money, resource up front building it, mm-hmm. you want to make sure you get usage. Yeah. Um, so that was my first concern. And then the second was, if you're going to build an app, you're going to have to put, obviously, functionality like find my nearest and menus and book and all the kind of obvious stuff. But the consumer is going to expect to see offers on it. Right. And surely all that's going to do is to say to the consumer, we do offers. Yeah. And therefore, if you're not offer-driven, it's going to drive you to get an offer. Mm-hmm. So I resisted for a very long time. Yep. Um, but we have just done an app. Okay. Um, and actually, I mean, we had a Latuska app for a long time. We've only just uh, we've only just uh, stopped it uh, a couple of months ago. We've uh, we terminated. What it. Was he say retired it? Retired it. Yes. Stopped it. Yeah. Terminated since. Terminated. Yeah. Well, we kind of did. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, let's go with your word. Oh, yeah, it's a better yeah. word. Uh, so, but we have uh, just this week launched a Las Iguanas app. Okay. 
um, which we've done because we found a way in which we could deliver it that included, um, first of all, pair table, which we think is a really important feature yes, that the customer wants. And obviously there are apps out there already that do pair table, but we've been able to embed it as part of our journey mm. uh, alongside all the other features I've spoke about earlier. Um, and then we've also got loyalty built in. Brilliant. So we've now got points and yeah. it is a points-based loyalty scheme. And someone like Las Iguanas, is it a higher average visit? Because the uh, drinking occasion? Not necessarily. Not, so not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is a bit of a trial for us. Yeah. But because it's feature rich, mm. we think it can play in a different space. Um, and I, I'm not going to lie and say, actually, I think all my Las Iguanas customers are going to, you know, download it because no. that's not going to be the case. No. But uh, so we're, we're giving it a go. I'm with you on everything you've said. And I just, I was, I think I was at the Web Summit a few years ago in Dublin, you know, and this fella got up from HubSpot, I think it was, and he says, you know, guess how many apps I've got on my phone, apart from the ones Apple make yeah. me have. And all these people are shouting out 200, and, rah, and he's like five or whatever he said. Yeah. And he's like, unless you're going to be useful to me as Spotify, Amazon, da, 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 you know, Uber, you know, name your poison. Yeah. You know, what's, you know, I think it's um, it's tough for a brand to justify it. But if you've gotten paid table, I, I'm just waiting on that tipping point happening where everyone's expecting that. Yeah. And also, I think a lot of people on an operational side, cost wise, are actually going to save a lot of money from doing, you know, from you know people being at the bar or they're they're doing proper table servers all the time. So then they can split between people going to the bar or you can get order at a table. I think yeah. it's going to be quite interesting. Yeah, I think works. when when we've run trials before with with just purely pay a table technology, the consumer didn't want it. Yeah. And they didn't use it. Now this was also some time ago, so obviously the world's moved on. Um so it will be interesting to see how that changes now now yeah. we've got uh, it feels like the time's there. right. It feels like it's coming. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see. Well, it's almost see. like you're getting into last yard delivery, never mind last mile delivery. Yeah, so that'll possibly. be quite exciting to see what happens possibly. there. Possibly. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about as well was um, you're a woman. I am. <laughs> I noticed. That's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just, you know, having spent some time with Emma um, over at Wagamama as well, you know, we, we sort of got into the subject about equality and what it's like, you know, being a woman in, you know, quite a male-dominated business, yeah. hopefully things are getting better. But just be good to talk about you, you know, being a champion for it, a great example for equality and women in business and all these things yeah. as well. It'd be good to sort of hear a bit about that. Sure. Um, I think the first thing I'd say is it's not a female thing. It's mm -hmm. actually a people thing. Yeah. And I think if uh, the, one, the one thing I feel really strongly about is if you create a great environment for women – you create a great environment for men mm -hmm. um, because if you make it okay for people to ask for flexi time, for example, people, doesn't matter whether they're a man or a woman, yeah. that makes it okay for a man who might want to go flexi time mm -hmm. to be with their family, look after the kids, parents, whatever it might be, yeah. and suddenly the man's happier and therefore more engaged and stays. Yeah. Uh, but equally, the man is supporting a partner. Yeah who can also have a career, whether yeah. they're a man or a woman, they can then have a career. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you approach it from that perspective, uh, it helps everybody yeah. and creates a great environment for everybody. Um, I think that if you 
if you start to get more senior in your career, we have a responsibility to lift as we climb. Mm-hmm. Um, because That's a good phrase. I've never heard you, that. You've, you've got, I think you've got yeah. to. I, I mean, I certainly feel a personal responsibility mm-hmm. to do that. Um, we've got to make it easier for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And all the studies show that uh, younger women will look up and say, is there anyone who looks like me? Yeah. And if they can't see people who look like them, then they opt out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means you've got to have all ages, races, shapes, sizes, sexual persuasions. You've got to have yeah. everything so that people can look up and say, there's somebody who looks like me. Yeah, yeah. And I can see how they've made it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's important when you get to a certain level to be more visible mm-hmm. um, because that way you help. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you've also got to be prepared to have the tough conversations when people aren't doing the right thing and uh, and raise awareness. And that's not always an easy conversation to have, but I think you've got to do it. And, you know, have are things changing? Are things getting better? Is it the same as it ever was? I think it varies. Um, I think there's definitely more awareness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd still say it's not it's not systemic in the organi- in the in the industry yet. Mm-hmm. I think there's still a long way to go. And I think partly it's because a lot of the ownership structures don't mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, investors aren't saying where where's your gender policy. Yeah. Um and if investors aren't asking for it Inevitably, the business doesn't necessarily have to be you focused don't have on to it. Bother, yeah. um, I think it requires leaders who are focused on it to say, actually, I realise that there's a business case. Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's been empirically, pro- empirically proven that if you have more gender balanced, balanced teams, yeah. the business performs better. Yes. Yeah. And you do have some enlightened leaders who know that mm-hmm. and inherently will actively try and therefore get more gender balanced teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there is responsibility on women to push ourselves forward. Mm-hmm. Um, again, studies have shown that uh, a woman will only apply for a job if she can do ninety percent of the job spec. A okay. man will apply if he can do forty. I was always less than that. Were you? <laughs> I was like ten. I'll give it a go. Well, there we go. But, but that's the right attitude, right? Yeah, if you've got yeah. the capability and you think you can learn the rest, yeah. then go for it. What's the worst that can happen? Precisely, right? That's exactly yeah. the attitude to have. But but women don't. Yeah. We hold ourselves back and we say, "Oh, yep. I can't." You know, I can't do that ten percent. I can't do so. I'm mm. going to hold myself back. So I think there's there's responsibility on us to to push ourselves forward. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for for sponsors, for yeah. you know, getting sponsors who mm-hmm. see great women and who sponsor them and 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 help them, whether mm-hmm. they're men or women. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I just it's always on my mind. You know, yeah. it's like it's always kind of out there. And we have I've been dead lucky in that. You know, for example, Gabby over at We Are Spectacular, um, and she's moving on now um, to to. A, quite an exciting new role um so yeah i'm just gonna really definitely try to be champion her and you know and, and she's been the brains behind this podcast really yeah you know like i just i'm the monkey that sits here and you know has a bit of a Chats. chat you know she's <laughs> doing everything you know the marketing of it the questions that you know so um yeah she's just been doing such a an incredible job i'm just excited to see where where she's going to go and what she's going to do and yeah it's a it's a big thing and then i think i've got a panel coming up soon and i was just dead chuffed it's you know four women on the panel and I just thought great that's ideal you know because yeah it's you you always just feel it when you're up there and you and and it's even even if it is all guys it's all white guys and you're just going oh come on you can do better than this I've got a a friend who um 
does a lot in this space. Uh, she's, uh, well, Karen Blackett, who people may, mm-hmm. may or may not have heard of. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal lady. And uh, whenever I speak to her, she says, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And that's the reason why she does a lot of what she does, because mm-hmm. she's a strong black female mm-hmm. um, who is an extraordinary woman. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's very driven by that. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. So the last couple of things, I'll need to let you go soon as well, because um, you're very busy. <laughs> this has been great. <laughs> yeah, it was great to catch up. Um, so there was a couple of things. I was just thinking about, um, you know, next things. So what's next in digital yeah. What are you thinking? What's next for CDG? So I think digital, you're just going to see an increasing um, merging of the channels. Mm-hmm. I think uh, voice is going to become yeah. more and more interesting. Um, we were just having a debate about it this morning and saying, actually, where do we think voice is going and who do we think mm-hmm. players are? And is there a role for restaurant brands themselves as opposed to the intermediaries like your bucket tables and your yeah. open tables and your deliveries, yeah. you know, what's the role of voice in this? It's fascinating. Yeah, we should catch up about that. Actually, there's yeah. so much going on in that area. Yeah, dead exciting, I think. So I think there's there's an interesting discussion around that. I think Facebook are going to do interesting things because they've got their their search their voice device coming out, Portal yes, coming out soon. That's right. uh, so, yeah, I think... Uh, Watch the space. I think there's a lot more to come from that space. Yeah. Uh, what's next for CDG? It's really just keep going. You mm-hmm. know, we've got to keep innovating. I think it's tough in this market mm-hmm. to uh, balance between the day job and and getting stuff done and shipped and out the door, yeah. versus thinking about tomorrow's world and where we need to be innovating. But yeah. it's trying to get that balance right between innovation and and getting the job done. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's continuing to keep the foot on the pedal, pedal and keep pushing hard yeah. um, and uh, and see where we get to. Yeah, that's exciting though. I just, as, as I say, I, I think there's very few people that I speak to or interview or, you know, have as clients or anything that get a clear runway yeah. to do, not what they want to do, it's not reckless or anything, it's just they get the runway to do the right thing and they're trusted to do it. Um, so yes, yeah, a very, a very lucky, privileged position. Very, very yeah, privileged which and is very great. lucky. Because usually, you get someone standing over your shoulder going, "Wouldn't do that." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, thankfully. Yeah, I had more. What is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like the IT or the crowd or the IT crowd. Yeah, this is the internet. You know, a little black box. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I've got a little couple of questions, uh, kind of fun ones at the end, which is called mark out a ten. So just yeah. some ratings things. So. Best restaurant? So I would say it's a restaurant I went to in Mauritius years ago, Indian restaurant called Indra, which was in the middle of this huge sugarcane field. Best restaurant I've ever been to. Just was it the total experience? It was the total experience. It was the fact that it was in the middle of nowhere. Mm. So there was this huge sugarcane farm and they had about five restaurants on, you know, on the farm, uh, one of which was Indra. Mm Mm-hmm. And it felt like you were walking into some kind of Indian palace. So uh, you had the whole experience from the moment you walked in. Yeah. The most amazing food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that has always stuck in my mind. And I went there probably 25 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. A long time ago, but it stayed with me. Nothing's beat it. No. Um, what about best city in the world to eat in? Um, 
So I'm biased. I am going to say London. Mm -hmm. But as somebody who has food allergies, I will Uh. also say that London, for me, is the most allergy-friendly city. Is it? Yeah. Okay, so pretty much anywhere you're going now, they're down with it. And it's yeah, it's, it's, it's so much easier now than, you know, 15 years ago mm-hmm. when I was first diagnosed. It's so much easier now. Yeah. I feel really comfortable. Yeah. You know, when I travel internationally, I'm actually far more nervous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially we found that we had a uh, great friend did a nut allergy and uh, we went away to, to sort of Tenerife, I think it was, Lanzarote, and they were just like laughing, you know, and he could speak very good Spanish yeah. and he was going, yeah, you know, nuts. And they were like, are you, cre- why would there be nuts in the kitchen? You know, they were just like looking at him going, what? You know, and it was proper, you know, yeah. if he had them, he was going to be in trouble, you know? Yeah. So um, that was always a bit weird. Um, yeah. What about best dish? What's your go-to, you know, thing that you love? I love seafood. Uh-huh. So I would, I would go seafood. If mm-hmm. there's good seafood on the menu, fish, seafood, that's where I'm going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any particular? Is no, it sh- just, just as long yeah, as it's, as long seafood, as it's there. Fish. Yeah, as long as it's there. Well, we've got a good one in Brighton, uh, Ridland Fins. I don't know if you've ever been to that. No. Um, so, yeah, next time if you're down in Brighton, you should go. But um, that's just a total sort of mecca for, oh, you know, all your fish. And sounds your like heaven. Fruit, is it Fruit de Mer? Or yeah. Uh, all that stuff. So, yeah, really, that's a, that's a great place. Sounds like heaven. Yes. Um, and what about drinks? What's drinks. your go-to drink? Uh, so I love gin. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm, you know, with the crowd on this one, but it's gin, yeah. <laughs> Any particular? Again, not really fussy. No? Just, yeah. As long as it's alcoholic. As long as it's gin, <laughs> I'm there. Are you going for the coloured ones? Are you going for the flavours coloured? I like those. Yeah, I don't know. I do quite like it. I like uh-huh. the orange gin. Oh, is that the Sevilla orange yeah. one? Is that Tanqueray? Blood orange. Blood orange, it's is it? blood orange. Oh, okay. Yeah. Need to check that out. Yeah, we've it's got really a heaving shelf in the house that's yeah. just you know sort of bent now with all the gins that run does gin go off if you open it I'm, I don't know because we've got it's, the thing is we you know, wife keeps buying another one and it's like is that does they how I mean I'm go? sure it must do yeah because rather than finishing a bottle it's yeah. like we've got 30 like, bottles we just like a little bit of them it's like yeah well you may have money. to have a gin sesh yeah, I could do that. Yeah, and just all get sad at the end of the night. <laughs> just get really depressed. If it makes you sad, maybe avoid yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, it, makes, it makes me stabby. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, and then, yeah, w- worst restaurant? Where's, where's bad? What's, where have you had a bad experience? Any, uh, any shockers? My worst experience was uh, at the Hilton in Paris. Aha. Uh-huh. This was a good few years ago. I was working in travel at the time and we went over for a company conference and we were we had this big kind of awards dinner and you know meals had been pre-ordered and they'd been told about my allergies. Yeah. And um they kept bringing me dishes that I couldn't eat. And I kept having to say I can't eat this mm. and I was trying to explain to the waiter, you know, my allergies and what I could and couldn't have. Mm. Uh and in the end he turned to me and he said, "What do you want?" And I just said, well, something I can eat would be lovely. And I ended up with this massive white plate with a tiny heap of rice, white rice in the middle and a sprig of parsley on the top. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was definitely... Passive aggressive sort of... That was definitely, yeah, the worst (laughs) I've ever had. Not ideal, not ideal. So last things in are just any advice for people just starting out on digital, you know, where do they even begin? Start with the basics. Yeah. Absolutely start with the basics. Start with your website. 
Make sure it's SEO friendly. Mm -hmm. Make sure you've got SEO friendly content. You've got no duplicate content. Get that right. Mm -hmm. And this is assuming that you're not rebuilding, just you're working with what you've got. Yeah. Uh, then start with basic social. Yeah. Start experimenting with that. And with email, start to see where you get the response, mm -hmm. what kind of messaging works. That will then help inform as and when you've got some money to spend where you start to boost, mm -hmm. where you start to spend in paid search. But your starting point doesn't have to be spend money. Yeah, that's a good Scottish answer. <laughs> um, and then just tips for people wanting digital as a career. Yeah. You know, maybe people coming out of school, coming out of university. Yeah. What do you think the right start off for that is? So, you know, I was very lucky. I fell into digital and loved yeah. it and, and stayed. I think, actually, if you're a young person today, you've got more opportunities to get into digital mm -hmm. than ever before. And that's because a lot of companies have recognised that the people who really get digital mm -hmm. are young people. Mm -hmm. So I would say get yourself an internship. Mm -hmm. If you can't find internships, be proactive and write to companies and say, can I come and spend some time with you and do work yep. experience? Because at least you'll get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. You'll show that you're being proactive. Mm -hmm. And once you're in there and you've proven yourself, it's much, much easier to then segue from there into yeah. a job. Yeah. Um, so I think it's much easier if you're young getting into digital than if you're older, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's on a young that, man's game. <laughs> on that or a young women's game. Um, and <laughs> and that, on that depressing note, um, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it. I'll let you get back to your Thursday evening. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up soon. It was so nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So there you have it. A massive thanks to Celia Pronto of CDG for coming in and lighting up the studio with real positivity, great energy, great knowledge, great insight and great tips for anyone that really wants to get stuck into a career in digital or indeed a career in hospitality. A huge thanks also to BDO for all of their help and supporting the podcast from day one. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone who's writing to us continuously on a weekly basis. And we really appreciate that. And thanks for everyone as well who is sending this out and sharing it with their friends and their colleagues one at a time. We really, really appreciate that too. A huge thanks to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help and putting the Supersonic podcast together. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. And I really hope that this has given you enough knowledge, value, and insight to help your brand boom. Boom.